Thank you for that. Thank you for being here this morning. You're going to want to keep your Bible open a little bit here to 1 Chronicles chapter number 29. Of course, today is I Love My Church Sunday, and we have been, the first few messages of the year, we've been going through uh, 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 things about church uh, related to our theme, More Church. And of course, we understand our, our, our verse for that is Hebrews chapter 10. In verse 25, where he tells us we should not forsake the assembling of our church, but we need more church. And then he said, much more church. But he said, so much more. And so I think he's trying to tell us in the scriptures, and if you read the scripture, you will see that church is important. And church is not man's idea, it is God's idea. And so on this day, before Valentine's Day, we want to make sure that we celebrate that we love our church just like hopefully unless you like sleeping on the couch you will celebrate on Wednesday that you love your wife if you're married you say I don't buy her something anyhow maybe that's the problem but when you do love somebody as we think about I love my church Sunday when you love somebody or you love something it means that you are willing to take on certain responsibilities and you are willing to do certain actions. Um, we have a wrong view uh, of love in our society. We think of it solely in terms of what's coming back to me. That's not love. Um, if you're married, you, you, you took on a responsibility. So that doesn't make marriage sound very appealing, but it is. And there's a lot of good parts to it. You know, when marriages struggle, you know what the problem is? A lot of times we're not fulfilling our responsibilities. We want the other person to fulfill their responsibilities, and we don't want to do what we're supposed to do. And unfortunately, we have a very immature society. A statistics are, this is not a marriage thing, but I feel led. This, a statistics tell us that people are waiting later and later and later to get married now. Particularly ladies. You know why? They can't find any men that are responsible. They're too busy. They're too busy. Uh, supporting their team and playing video games down in the basement. Say, so what's that have to do with the message? I don't know. I just, I feel good. But it's a responsibility. That, that, and by the way, ladies are getting bad at that too. But, but when you love somebody or you love something, you are willing to take these responsibilities on. It's the same thing with children. Anybody could have children. This is a biological thing. But what does it take to be a parent? It takes the fact of the matter that I'm willing, to, I'm willing to take on that responsibility. And so that's what love brings. And love is, loving something is not necessarily about what that thing will do for me, but what I will do. And if we're not willing to do that, then I would question whether we really have love for that thing which we say we love. As we look at our text this morning, David had it in his heart to build the temple. After he had taken over the kingdom and the kingdom had kind of calmed down, he, um, he looked around and said, man, I have a nice place to live. Everything is going well. And, and, and there's no place for God. There's no building for God where the people can come and worship him. <clears throat> and he went to the prophet and he said, and, and, and he told the prophet, and the prophet said, do what's in your heart. Now, that's one problem. The prophet didn't go to God first. And the prophet goes home and God goes, hey, 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 no. David's not the one who's going to build it. See, David was a man of war. And David had spent a lot of time, and God goes, I have somebody else 
who I'm going to have build the temple. You know, it's good that David has that desire, but he's not the guy. It'll be his son that comes after him. Now, let's think about this for a minute. Uh, David was not going to build his temple. His son was. Uh, David had the right heart in the whole situation. But, but even though David could have just checked it off, like, fine, that's not my responsibility, not my deal, don't have to worry about it. But David wanted to be a part of it. And he gave a lot of things. Look at verse 2 and 3 of First Chronicles chapter 29 there. Uh, I'm sorry, chapter 28. If you'll go back one chapter. David said, as for me, I had it in my heart to build a house for the rest to, for, of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God and hath made ready for the building. But God said unto me, thou shalt not build a house for my name because thou hast been a man of war and shed much blood. So David could have shut it down right there. But he wanted to have a part in it, even though it was going to come after his death. See, his son wasn't going to take over until after he died. And so he, he, he wanted to be a part. Now, look at First Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 9 and 10. And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou that the God of thy father, and, and ser- know the, the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee out forever. He's trying to prepare him. and says, listen, when you're the king, if you do the right thing and seek after God, things are going to go well. But if you don't seek after God, things aren't going to go well. Verse 10, take heed now, for the Lord hath chosen thee to build him a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. That didn't come from Nike. That came from God. David's telling his, he's telling his son, like, just do it. You're the guy. You have to be strong. God's prepared you for this. And so he encourages God, encourages uh, his son to build it. But I find it interesting that David prepared heavily. As you look at chapter 29, David is getting in the process because he knows he's coming to the end. And he gives, he gives the process of talking to all the people, all the leaders and everybody, getting them on board with when Solomon is going to build the temple. He's rallying them, say, hey, get behind this, get behind him, help him with this. And then he states that he had been preparing for the building of the temple for a long time. He had, been, he had been storing up some of this stuff he won in battles and gold. And so he was setting it aside so that when Solomon built the temple, David had supplied most of what he would need to build the temple. Say, so why is that interesting? Because David was never going to see the temple. David was never going to step foot in the temple. David wouldn't even be alive when they started the temple or when it was done. But why would David do all that? Look at verse 3 of 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Moreover, because I have set my, what's that word? Affection. Think about that. David's not going to see it. David didn't have anything to do with it. But yet he still loved it. He had an affection for that house for God that was going to be built long after he was dead and buried. Today is I Love Our Church Sunday, as I told you. And I hope that if you're a member here, that you love this church. We ought to have an affection for our church. I'm not talking to people that don't go to our church. I'm talking to our people. 
if this is our church, we ought to love this place. We ought to have an affection for it. But looking at the Bible and looking at David, I want to share a few things that's involved if we are going to love our church. What does that involve? Let me give you a couple thoughts. First of all, it involves loving God. Look at verse 1. As David talked about it, here's what he said about it. For the palace is not for man, but for the Lord God. As David understood the importance of what he was setting out to do, he understood that this place was going to be wonderful. And this place wasn't for man, this was for God. Now, it's a place where man would go so they could meet with God and they can be encouraged in God and they could serve the Lord. But ultimately, the place was about the honor and the glory of God. Why? Because we are to love him. What's the greatest command? It was stated in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. That command is repeated three times in three of the Gospels. In Mark, it says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the great commandment. By the way, let me just say this. If you're a Christian, the number one motivation for everything that you do ought to be love for God. That's it. Now, there's a lot of other things that will come inside of that, right? We'll do things for people because we love and all that different. But, but the number one motivation, the strongest motivation... Anything we do ought to be love for God. What happens if it's not? We could be, we could be uh, tempted to stop doing the things we do. Because well, I'm not feeling appreciated. And by the way, we try to appreciate people that do things. But love for God is our ultimate motivation. He says love him with, with all your heart. We should love him emotionally. Heart means passions, desires. A Christian that doesn't have a passion for God or doesn't have a desire for God, there's, there's something, uh, I say this in a good way, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. We got to check our life to say, hey, what is stopping me from having this love for God? What is stopping, and, and by the way, everybody loves God, but very few people have a passion for God. And if you don't have a passion for God, I would question how deep your love for God is. But we ought to have a passion and an emotional love for God. Not emotion like our society. Our, our, we're, so, we're so emotional. One week we want to do everything in the world. The next week we don't want to do anything. Come on, can I get a witness? We don't run on emotions. But it's nice to have some emotions. It's nice to have a love for God. We're supposed to love him with our soul, our inner being, everything we are. We ought to love him completely. God shouldn't just be something that is half-hearted. Right? Does God have all of you? By the way, if God has all of you, and I'll just throw this out here because I do every year, so you should be used to it. But if God has all of you, he has all of your schedule. Okay? What's tonight? Tonight's pagan holiday. It is. It's a pagan holiday. The Super Bowl. Come on. Let's just be real here. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with the Super Bowl except for the fact that the Rams aren't in it. Just, I'm, I'm, hey, calm down. You 49er fans nauseate me. But, but here's the deal. 
People are like, churches all over this place are going to be shutting down their services tonight because of the Super Bowl. Now, look, can I ask you something? I'm never going to do that. Now, I used to joke around and say, the reason I'm going to do, never going to do that because my team never plays in it, so what's the big deal? And then sure enough, two years ago, the Rams made it. So we shut it down. We had a flood or something. But here's the point. I don't want to shut this down and put a thought in the mind of our church family and our, our children that, you know what, church is important, except I'm not trying to ruin your night. That's what DVRs are for. Okay, but I, I would never miss church simply because I want to watch a football game. Yeah, okay. So I want to see if Taylor Swift is there. Can we get over that? That's just people worship. Anyhow, okay, it's just moving on quickly. Oh, okay, it says move on quickly. We're supposed to love him with our mind. What does that mean? Our thoughts, our thinking, our understanding. In other words, as you go through your day, let me ask this. Do you ever think about God? And I know, it's, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, we get in the busyness of the day and things come up, and, and I get it. But, but like something comes up we have to deal with. Do we ever think, hey, what, God, what do you want me to do in this area? We love him with our strength, our power, and our ability. We must move on. We don't have a lot of time. Secondly, churches, if we love church, we're going to love God, but we're also going to love others. Look at uh, the, the next verse after Mark where Jesus was asked the greatest command. Jesus gave the greatest command, and without being asked, he went a little further. Verse 31 of Mark chapter 12, he says, and the second is like unto it. In other words, they're closely aligned. Namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. By the way, he says there's none other commandment, one, greater than these two. Why? Because loving God and loving others is, is closely tied together. There's no way we can ever say, well, you know, I love God, but I don't like people. I don't love people. And by the way, I've met some people that are unlikable. Raul? Just kidding. I'm kidding. Raul's like, I don't like you either. I know, but I have the microphone, brother. You know, it, we, if we, well, I love God, but I just, people, ugh. It's like, we don't have that option. They are so closely aligned. Now, it doesn't mean that's easy, but God wants us to love others. I'm going to read the verses that we've been using for our theme. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. 25 is a key, but 24 is connected. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. People are involved with that. Part of being at church is because we love God, but we're also supposed to be here because we're supposed to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's part of it. And if we love church, we're going to love people. Well, people have bad days. Well, here we go. Look in the mirror. Have you ever had a bad day? I'm having one today. To see some people. No, we have bad days. But it's like we have weaknesses. We have issues where we struggle. And we want people to cut us some slack. But do we want to cut people slack? And I know, I know, I know. Uh, um, uh, you know, you'll meet people. You'll go out and they're like, well, the reason I don't come to church is because, you know, Christians are hypocrites. Well, yes. 
Not that you should be, but I'm not going to judge church by one singular person. Judge it by Christ. But we should love one. There are so many verses. I was going to read through them, but we're sake of time. Romans 12, Romans 13, Galatians 5, Ephesians 4, Thessalonians 5, and there's probably 10 more where they use this word, one another. Exhort one another, love one another, encourage one another, blah, one It's just all over the place. And these were books that were written to most of them to churches originally. Like, hey, you got to encourage one another. you got to be with one another. By the way, where do you go when you need encouragement? I hope if you come to church, you can be encouraged. I hope if you need someone to pray for you, care about you, you can come to church and someone will do that. I hope when you come to church, you get uh, uh, encouragement from being around God's people. Say, but pastor, I'm having a bad day. Listen, as soon as you get out of the car, leave it in the car. That should be easy if you drive a Ford. <laughs> By the way, who won, who won the, uh, uh, the, jump, the jump cable thing for the car? Who won that? Who won it? What kind of car do you drive, Soti? Well, if you had a Ford, you really would need that, okay? Someone with a Tesla was going to win it, right? A Tesla has its own battery. It doesn't need to be jump-started. But, uh, but, but just encourage one another. We're supposed to love one another. It means this, and I'll move on. That means church isn't just about you. Now, it is. We get a lot out of it. Don't get me wrong. But church ought to get to the place, and I'll have another point that will help us with this, to where when we're here, yes, it's about us, but it's not just about us. How can I be a blessing to others? What happens in churches, and I'm glad we don't do this, and, and not all churches, but you look at the Corinthian church, they had some issues. They had divisions. You know why? Because they forgot that it's not about them. It's about each other. Psalms chapter 133, verse 1, one of the shortest psalms in the Bible says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Thirdly, if we're going to love church, we ought to be loving service, loving serving. Let's put that. That's what Hebrews is talking about. We got to consider one another. We got to exhort one another. And I've, I've went over all the verses. It's in Titus. It's in Ephesians where God tells us right after we got saved, he wants us to be zealous and he wants us and he was created us and ordained us for good works. Doing something for other people. Doing something in our community for our people. Let me ask, if you've been here for a while, and if you're a member particularly, where do you serve? What are you doing? And I don't mean that in a mean way. <clears throat> We're supposed to find out where God wants us and find some way, some way. You know, I appreciate our teenagers, or so many of them, and some of our adults, and they're out on the bus routes on Saturday. Teenagers. They come here early on a Saturday and go out and visit on a bus route. They get here early so they can help. We have people that come and drive the, 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 the shuttle van so we can pick up some of our willful folks that, uh, folks that need a ride. Some of them get pushed, right? Do we still push some of those, Brother Gary? Okay, be careful about those railroad tracks over there. Makes me nervous. But, but our teenagers and kids and adults... We have people that work in the nursery. Could you imagine what it would be like if all those little ones weren't here? Come on now. How many of you have a baby? You know what it's like with one. Can you want 30 of them in here? It's like they're, don't take this away. They're like tools of Satan. As soon as they get in here, it's like Satan pinches their leg. They start crying. Okay? But it's nice that they can be somewhere where they're taken care of. We have junior churches, children's classes, all these different things. You know, because people are willing to serve. 
People are willing to say, I'll come to church, and instead of being an adult class, I'll go teach a class of children. I'll go teach some teenagers. I'll be involved. Church, you'll love church so much more when you get involved. Next, I'm hurrying here. If you love your church, you'll be loving giving. Pastor, I knew you were going to say that. Well, I didn't want to disappoint you. Look at verse 3 of 1 Chronicles 29. That's a, a lot of this chapter is about this. I'm not trying to chisel more money out, y'all. I'm, I'm, I'm going. Moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of God, I have of my own proper good. He says, what I, what's mine belongs to me, of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of God over and above all that was prepared for the house. The whole purpose behind what David is doing is to prepare for the, the giving to take care of the needs and get the temple built. And by the way, not just giving, giving willingly. Look at verse 9 of the same chapter there. Then the people rejoiced after he talked to them and all the people heard what David was doing. Then the people rejoiced for that they offered willingly. Because with perfect heart, they offered willingly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced with great joy. When people really understand what a church and God wants to do through a church, they have no problem giving to a church. By the way, thank you so much. I think we got, I don't have the total numbers, we wanted to get that special offering for Brother Tongdi, and really we didn't have the, the, um, the food court, so it kind of, we had like, I think we had like $5,000 for him. Okay, thank you for that. But that'll, that, listen, that'll just about pay for what he pays for that conference. And then the children try to help, and you know what they do? They, they pitch in one, two dollars. They don't have much money. That's that side of the world. We, they can focus on helping to get those kids there. And so thank you for that. You always do that. But it's important that we have that kind of, of heart. Christ gave himself for the church. We understand that. And Christians are to give to the church. God tells us that. You know, what we, what, if we're not careful, we become what our society is becoming. What? Can someone give to me? You want an illustration? These idiotic kids who think that we should pay for their college bill. Were well, you going to pay for my car bill? Come on now. Why? Why should I have to pay for your college bill? Work hard. And, and, I, and again, I, I think college is too expensive, personally, for all that stuff, but especially you're just being, you know, fed woke philosophies, but that's a message for another day. But it's like, you know, it, it's like everything should be given to us. Right? I don't like inflation. Neither do I. By the way, that's why you probably should be careful and do some little research who you vote for. Our governor's trying to pass something now to where they can pass taxes without anybody having a say anymore. Hmm, that's interesting. Anyhow, I just, I, don't, I like him when he's out of office. But, but what are we doing here? So we bring that into the church, right? What's the church going to feed me? Hey, look, we're going to feed you and take care of all, all those things, but we're here to also help others. We got to get out. And unfortunately, that takes resources. And so thank you for that, because our church, you, you've, given, you've given and helped us to be able to, to do so much. You look around, look at people whose lives have been helped and changed, and our buses and our overseas ministry, all those different things, because you're willing to give. And that's a sign, basically, that you do love your church. Next, <clears throat> he talks about 
a loving example. Look at verse 19. We did not read these verses. Verse 19 of 1 Chronicles 29, he goes, I know also, my God, that thou triest the heart and hast pleasure in uprightness. And then he gives one of the examples of his uprightness. He says, that's why I'm giving. What is uprightness? Uprightness has to do with how we live <clears throat> and how we live before people. Now, I get it. People can be as phony as a $3 bill, right? You can, you can fake people when they're around you and then you're something completely different somewhere else. And I'm not talking about that. I think we ought to be genuine in who we are, but I think we ought to be genuinely right in the way we live. You see, because the way I live is an example, and for right or wrong, I don't, you know, <clears throat> the world ought to judge Jesus Christ for who he is, not who we are. But unfortunately, that's what they do. And no one wants you to be perfect, but they want to look at someone who's trying to do the right thing. Someone who's going forward and you look at their life. Look, if you're at work and, 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 and there's deceit and dishonesty and lying and you're honest around there, you're going to stand out. Yes. You don't have to jump up on a table like, I'm honest and you're a liar because I'm a Christian. Stop that nonsense. You know, they ought to look at someone and say, hey, this guy, this guy comes in and he, he works. He, he works hard. He doesn't have to be told to. He shows up on time. And then they know you're a Christian. You know what happens? They start to connect the dots. Like maybe there's something different about this person because of the fact that they are a Christian. That's not trying to make us look good. You know who's trying to make look good? Christ. Like that's why we're different. We're not different because I'm better than you. I just know Jesus Christ and I'm trying to honor him with my life. But far too many Christians are the complete opposite. They, 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 they're not watched and people, people struggle with that. Let me ask a couple questions, we'll move on. If the world judged Christianity by our lifestyles, what would they think? And again, I think that they should not specifically just do that. They ought to look to the Bible. But fact of the matter is, they're going to look to Christians because the Bible says things about God's people and how we should be, and they're going to look to us to see if we are trying to match up to it. Right? Not, you know, they're looking for something. And I get it, we're all not. But, but can they look at us and say, look, there was a guy... I was talking to a brother or two about this. He was at a church. It's a guy. I worked with him at, at, at Ingram Paper in the early days of the church. I worked there in the early days when we were first getting started. And this guy worked there. And he was a Christian. And he was there before me. And I went in there and I let everybody know I was a Christian. And by the way, they told me some of the Christians who weren't living right. But they pointed to that guy and said, one of them said something like, he's legitimate. He's real. He's been, he... He, he quit after I was there. A couple of years I was there. He's been pastoring ever since. He was real deal. He had the respect of these guys there because he, they knew he was a Christian. He tried to live it. You know, one thing we do as a church, and, and you know, let's, when they see us out there, they ought to just say, look, those, if they meet you and they know you're from Pacific Baptist, there's something different about these people. And, it's not, and you tell them it's not because it's Pacific Baptist. You tell them because it's Jesus Christ. Yeah. But let's be a loving example for our Lord. And then lastly, and we talk about this a lot, we won't, we won't harp on this here, but also loving generations. In Deuteronomy, the verse I, I, I read to you about loving God, he says, 
Let me read it again. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I should command thee this day shall be in your heart. He says, hey, all these commands I'm telling you, you need to get them in your heart. The next verse in that chapter says this. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. And when thou walkest by the way. And when thou liest down. And when thou risest up. God made sure after he's giving them the can, say, hey, by the way, these aren't just for you. You have a responsibility to get these out to the next generation. They're for your children. And they're for your children's children. That was very important to God. It's mentioned all throughout the law books. We call that the next generation. You know what? Look, everything we do in this church and everything we believe and all we're trying to accomplish, there's always something in the background that, that we're trying to have a church that'll be here 40 years from now being the same type of church, Amen. doing the same type of work. And that's got to get to our children. Amen. We've got to get it to our children. And, and we would do our children a disservice to just think that we can come to church one day a week on Sunday and go home and be completely different. What are they going to think about Christianity? What are they going to think? They, many, many years ago, they did a survey of children and how they turned out for God. They said the best, <clears throat> the best kids in the church that turned out as adults were kids who, who, who um, they, they, they came to church and their parents tried to live what they said they believed. Those were the best kids overall. Listen now. The second best kids were the kids who came to church, and they did not have families that came to church. They were the second best. You know the, the worst group was? The kids who came to church and had families that came to church that didn't live any of it during the week. Pastor Esposito used to call that inoculation, right? You get a little bit of the disease, so your body fights it off and learns how to fight it off. We're inoculating our, our children from Christianity. And so, what's the thing? Let's just be on board with it. You know, I, I, if I, I'd come to church just, I, I just to stay right for my children's sake. So that, look, so that they can get through this world without getting all that stuff. And how did David do that? Solomon. Solomon. You're the one. You're going to build the temple. And David taught him. And David told him, listen, you're going to have to love God. And if you love God and follow him and do those things, God will bless you and take care of you. But Solomon, if you don't, you're going to have problems. Build this temple. You can do this. I'm providing for you. But you're going to have to get the job done. Not like a lot of parents. We want to do everything for the kids and we don't teach them to do anything. We bring that into their spirituality. But we ought to be concerned about the next generation. What about your children? What about your grandchildren? And on and on and on. If you're first, genera first generation Christianity, don't you want that to go farther? It's not like Hezekiah and Hezekiah. God said, you know, once you die, Hezekiah, you're off the scene. I'm going to judge your country. You know what he said? Good is the word of the Lord as long as it doesn't happen in my days. Wow. I love Hezekiah. He's one of the best kings, but that was wrong. You know what Josiah said? God said, hey, it's coming. And Josiah said, oh, well, I'm going to do everything I can to change it. And he had revivals all throughout the land. 
He took the law that they found and he knew that judgment was coming. He says, hey, I still have a chance here. And he went and he took it to everybody he could trying to change the country. What about that next generation? I know we love our kids and I know we want what's best for them. But you know what's best for them? Let's present them with a pure form of Christianity. Let's present them with loving God. Our church is heavy on that. We want your children to live for God. Let's bow our head and close our eyes this, evening, this morning, if we may. I know I kind of went all over the map. Thank you for that, for listening. But if we love our church this morning, <clears throat> there's just certain things we're going to want to make sure that we are a part of. Remember, it comes with responsibility. It comes with responsibility. Starts with loving God. Starts with a love and having a heart for others. It's willing to be financially and, and in every way involved in sacrificially giving. It's involved in serving. It's willing to live the Christian life the, to the best of our ability, the way God asks us to, we can be an example of Jesus Christ in this world. And it has a deep concern for the next generation, our children, our grandchildren. Years ago, we passed out a bumper sticker for I Love My Church Sunday. That was a really bad idea because I, I've seen us drive. But, you know, I don't want us to be bumper sticker Christians. How we love our church is how it affects us. And when we have an affection for something, we're willing to do whatever it takes to help. We're willing to do whatever it takes to make a difference. To be involved. So we honor the God we love. Now maybe you're here this morning. And you're not a Christian. I wouldn't expect you to love church or want to be a part of it if you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? That means this. Are you 100% for sure that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven? Or do you have some doubt? With our head bow, heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, if you'd say, you know, Pastor, I'm not 100% for sure. I have some doubt. But that's something I'd like to know. Pastor, would you pray for me? With nobody looking around, if you just raise your hand, I'll pray for you. I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven. Raise your hand quickly. I'll recognize it. Yes. May we stand together. The piano is going to play. Maybe God spoke to you about something in the message. Maybe your love for God has cooled. Maybe, maybe you're not involved with others and, and you're, you have a relationship issue with someone you may need to take care of and get fixed. Maybe you're not involved financially as you, are, as you should or giving of your time to serve people. Maybe we've been slacking with our responsibility towards our young ones. Not getting the faith that they need. Why don't you come?